if you will, open up your Bibles to Luke, the seventh chapter, and we're going to talk about highly valued. And um, so if you want a sermon title, and uh, we voted on the last week's one, and it ended up being something I didn't even mention last Sunday morning. And so if you're looking for a title, that was, we ended up calling it In My Father's House. Uh, we talked about heaven and different things about heaven and hell and uh, some, some different questions people may have, like why does a loving God send people to hell? And we talked about that. It's because he loves. Amen? Amen. So that makes no sense. No, it totally does if you would have heard that. I'm sure you did. Uh, but it, it, it's because uh, lost beings, uh, like angels that are wreaking havoc, that have fallen and don't have God's life in them, are causing much of what we see with wars and and sickness and all that stuff happens because they're motivated by these unclean, unseen spirits. Well, could you imagine humans that are a rank above angels without eternal life being set free for eternity? It would be worse, and heaven is not going to be like that. Heaven is going to be phenomenal. Uh, eternity is going to be a phenomenal thing for people who have put their faith in Christ. But anyway, highly valued. Ready? Luke's Gospel, the seventh chapter, and uh, the title may lead people to believe, uh, you know, different things. You know, you can hear something and then all of a sudden you go, oh, he must be talking about me. No, nobody thought that. Highly valued. Well, you are highly valued and highly valued to the Lord. But we're going to talk about uh, our approach to God. And having a, a heart or an attitude that highly values him. And we're going to look at this from some different perspectives uh, that will help us in, in receiving from God. Uh, sometimes uh, there is obscurity to what people think. Like they'll think, well... You know, God's just not doing that kind of miracles all over the world. Or, or, oh, God is doing those miracles, but you have to go to Africa, or you have to go to Central America, or you have to go to uh, South Korea, or something like that. And then you're going to see these big, huge miracles and all this phenomenal stuff that you hear about. But then people say, well, God's not doing that kind of stuff here. And then all of a sudden people will go, do you know what's happening in Arkansas? And people will get on planes to go see what God's doing. But in all reality, um, people have different thoughts and ideas about how all this stuff happens and why it even does happen. And do you know that if we looked in the Bible, we could... Uh, become like a lightning rod to seeing God. You know what a lightning rod is? Most people maybe don't know what that is. Some people do. If you live up on a hill, they'll put a lightning rod or in a plain area and you have a building, they'll put a lightning rod up there because they want the lightning to strike it and it would be more apt to hit a higher thing. So they put a rod up there to get lightning to strike so it doesn't hit and destroy the building. But a lightning rod is made to direct that power. 
And when we recognize certain things and approach God a certain way, we as a church can become a lightning rod. We as individuals can become a lightning rod. Understand this as we begin to look at these things, that some of the people that were around Jesus were like a lightning rod and others weren't. You know, uh, we used to have a saying when we were growing up and out on the lake, if you ever hear thunder off in the distance, you have to get off the lake. Why? Because, you know, it's a lake that's like 27 miles long and 15 and a half miles wide, uh, and you're the highest thing even if you're six foot tall or in a boat sitting down. And they don't want you to get struck. And so, but then there's hills, so you kind of get near the shore and come back. And so that it would hopefully hit that highest thing. And so when we talk about being like a lightning rod, there are certain things that uh, would tend to get hit over other things. Are you with me? I used to think in a rainstorm and thunder, you know, I'm from Southern California, don't condemn me, just run under a big tree. Well, in the South, you learned you don't go run under a big tree, especially if it's the only big tree, right? And so I didn't know better. I just thought protects you from the rain, but it makes the lightning chances go up. You know, I remember a friend of mine was out playing tennis, and he told me about this story with a friend, and all of a sudden his, you know, there a lightning storm, you know, is going off, and they live down in the south. There are big trees around him, and his friend's hair stood straight up, and he said, run, lightning, and that thing hit right by him. What, what makes lightning strike is, you know, is, is there something? What made the power of God strike, so to speak, people in the Bible? Were there some people that uh, would get hit by the power of God just by accident? Or is it more uh, God or is it more man? What is it that would make it so that God's power would flow into somebody and cause an effect in them? And so Luke 7, we're going to begin reading here in verse 2. And we're going to see that there are things written from the Old Testament to the New Testament that will show us what an individual can do or how they can approach God or their attitude toward God. Uh, if they have this attitude, and you know, we're always talking about an attitude, right? You know, when I grew up, it was all about your attitude. You're changing your attitude. So we know we can do that. Now, I don't know if the younger generation is taught that, but we were taught. Watch your attitude. You need an attitude adjustment. Now people go to a chiropractor to get a back adjustment. We know what that means. <laughs> Straighten it up. Right? And I remember that growing up. And like I said, I don't know if younger people are told. You wonder sometimes, you know, how society is. You know, I'm sure there are many that teach their kids to deal with their attitude or have a good, because they'll even tell you have a good attitude, like you just have control over it. And we do. And we do have, you know, because you can't do that. I guarantee you, even people who throw temper tantrums, you go into court and the judge says, you need to watch your attitude or I'm going to throw you in jail for a month for contempt of court. You're not going to fall down on the ground and go, I can't help it. He's going to go, 30 days. 
You know what I mean? It's amazing how often people can't control things till they have to. You know, John Osteen was a tremendous minister. He went to be with the Lord, I don't know, 20-something years ago. But he talked about his mother, how she was a Christian, and she had a problem, or she chewed, I don't know, you know, snuff, tobacco. (laughs) And he'd say, you need to quit that, Mom. You know, she was a single lady. You need to quit that, Mom. Oh, I can't. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And week after week, month after month, year after year, that's just not good, Mom. You need to quit that, you know? You should stop that. I can't, I can't, I'm addicted, I can't. Some guy came along one day, and uh, she found that she thought, oh, this is interesting. And all of a sudden he saw her and said, hey, you quit. He said, yeah, I met somebody. (laughs) I thought you couldn't quit. It's just the different motivation. You can do things. Are you with me? And sure, we can adjust our attitude, but sometimes we don't, we, it's everybody else's fault. You know, I was raised like this. If you worked where I worked, you know, if you lived where I lived, if you were raised by who I was raised with, if you had the kids I had, or have, you know, what, I mean, it can be anything like that. Well, if I would have lived back in the 50s, it would have been a lot different, you know, or if I lived back, you know, 100 years ago, I, it would have been different, and people just don't take responsibility, but isn't it true, I mean, I remember this in school, there were people who would pick on people, and, and just, like, almost not be able to control themselves. And and then all of a sudden they get around somebody who's tougher than them and they're all meek and mild. You get what I'm saying? The observation being we can control things if we want to and change things. And, uh, And sometimes we are influenced by our surroundings and how we were raised. But that can't be an end all. Are you with me? That doesn't mean you don't have extra things to overcome and may need to change some thinking and, you know, get into the Word of God. And, you know, somebody said, yeah, but I'll be poor the rest of my life. That's just how it was. And, but, but it can take time to get into the Word and get you thinking a different way. What I'm getting at is, is our attitude is huge. And uh, there is a certain aspect and, and it would seem as though we've hit another cycle of this in the United States. If you go look back to the 60s, uh, we had come out of a generation that was in World War II, that fought, that were for this country, and, you know, they were called the greatest generation, you know, they just gave everything, they respected one another, you know, if I give my word, that's it. And then then you could uh, trust their word, because you esteemed them as somebody worthy, and people esteemed other people. Then we got into the 60s, and there became the sexual revolution, and, and really what it became was not a sexual revolution and a drug revolution. What it became was a disrespect of authority. They started calling 
police pigs and different names and and they started uh, you know regardless if the police were good or bad they had all these derogatory names they became disrespectful to parents they became disrespectful to the governing rules of that god had set forth don't touch this don't touch that and they said we're we're just going to drink we're going to party we're going to have sex outside of marriage we're going to do anything and everything we want to do and we're just and they called it having a good time what if you put a real title on it right because now there's big fights, you know. Not everything that has organic on the title is really organic, which it's important to know. But, you know, just because people put, you know, we're doing our thing and we can, really they should have put rebelling against God in every way we can, disrespecting Him and dishonoring Him as much as possible. You, you weren't the one doing it, so you could say, Amen, right? And, and uh, so, but what I'm getting at is really what it became is people stopped honoring the Lord and really regarding him uh, for who he is and what he had to say and his ways about things and, and people uh, quit esteeming him. And the Bible tells us to honor people who are in positions of authority in government in different things. And, and if they're not going the right way, we should pray for them. Doesn't mean we agree with them, but there's an element of esteem and and uh, and regard for certain things, and they just threw that out the window. And we're going to do it our way, and we don't have to do it God's way. And what are we talking about? Being a lightning rod for God to work in our lives. What happened with that generation? is they lost regard for authority, and not just authority, the ultimate authority. God. The Lord. Well, what happens usually in those situations is they find that that is a deprived way of life, and being deprived, they find themselves empty. They start searching. And, and then they start looking for the Lord or different things, trying to figure out where can we find this that we're looking for. And because they think, hey, just live in any way you want to is okay. And then they find it, it's not okay. Really what happened was they lost any respect or any regard for the Lord. Or it diminished. And so we see really a generation like that now. People talk about you can live any way you want to, do anything you want to, and you have a right to do that. And, and technically, you have the choice to do that. But choices are with consequence, always. If I plant corn, the consequence is I'm going to end up probably getting some corn. And uh, we are in a time where we see there's not a lot of respect or regard or high esteem and reverence for uh, things. You know, kids will talk bad. And I know this happens in all generations, but sometimes it really swells about their parents, about leaders, about rulers. And um, really, it should be a trickle-down thing 
how I treat others based on my regard for the Lord. Are you with me? And so we're going to look at this esteem or regard or honor, uh, thinking highly, uh, thinking valuable things. You know, if something's valuable to you, you're going to act a certain way. And if you put a ton of value on it, you're going to really act a certain way. If you and I were out and we went to the grocery store and we got the lottery ticket, I don't know if anybody won the other day, but I think it had, was four or five hundred million dollars. I said, all right, we're going to go 50-50 on this thing. Or like Bugs Bunny would say, 60-40, right down the middle. And um, some people are like, okay. But um, at that money, I guess it probably doesn't matter. But, uh, you know, you have the ticket. You do something. You hide this. Well, you're not going to go shove it in your back pocket and go, go sit and walk around. You are going to totally act. I mean, you're not going to go, yeah, that's a good idea. You want to go to the movies first? You're not going to be go sitting in a theater if you've got a ticket for, you know, cash it out for half its value and you end up with $250 million. You're not going to do that. You're not going to go, you want to go for a walk in the park first? You're going to be like, I'm leaving right now. You make sure nobody's following me. And you know you're going to go hide that somewhere in the house and you're going to be thinking all the factors about it aren't you? I mean, you're going to be like, okay, because you know that thing's worth a ton of money, literally a ton. And you're going to be acting a certain way. Why? Because you regard the value of that is huge. The, the psalmist said this in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, he said, you know, he said, talked about finding the word and it was like a treasure, like a great spoil. That's not like rotten eggs. It literally means like a giant treasure. Well, if you had this treasure and it was on a piece of paper, you'd be like, ah, oh, this paper is so valuable. You would act certain ways. Would you get on the phone and just call anybody and everybody? Would you tell your neighbors? Uh-uh. You don't know who they're going to tell. They lift their eyebrow a little funny. I don't know about them. I'm telling nobody. Right? Why? Because it's huge value. And when you recognize the value, it changes how you act. In other words, you're esteeming that. You're going, man, this is high value. Notice this, Luke 7, verse 2. And a centurion, a certain centurion's servant uh, was, who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So we see this soldier who's over a hundred soldiers, uh, and he's got a servant who is dear to him and, and is ready to die. It's not the good place to be. Today we'll go, we'll just call an ambulance. Back then there weren't ambulances. And they didn't have the high-tech things or more tech things like we have. And it says, so when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the Jews, uh, elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal 
his servant. So he had heard about Jesus. He had to have heard Jesus is out there healing people and people in all kinds of situations are being healed. He didn't act like the Pharisees and go, ah, whatever. He literally found some people because he's not, you know, centurion. He's not a Jewish person. Jesus is. So he finds some of these people that he can get to connect with Jesus. So it says he found elders of the Jews, respected people among the Jewish people who he knew. And he said, I want you to go to talk to Jesus on my behalf. And so when they had come, verse 4, they begged him, not the centurion, the people, the people that were respected in the community went and begged Jesus earnestly, begged him earnestly, saying, the one for whom he should do this was deserving. And then he, they, they tell him, this is the reason you should come, Jesus, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Man, he built us a synagogue. You need to go do this for him. And, and he loves our nation. In other words, he's, even though he's not of our nation, he's not a believer. Uh, he heard that Jesus could do this. And, and he starts uh, petitioning that Jesus would come. And it's interesting. It says, verse 6, Then Jesus went with them. So Jesus consented and went, all right, I'll go. And when he was already not far from the house, so this means Jesus got with these elders, anybody, the disciples, anybody following him, because Jesus had crowds around him often, they all, I mean, think about it. Talk about a service. You know, some people are like, these seats could be more comfortable. It could be a little cooler. And somebody two seats over is like, it could be a little warmer. If you were in a service with Jesus, you know what that would look like? He'd just start walking. And you're like, great, let's go. And you'd walk for who knows how long, maybe some miles to get here. Nobody knows if it's the, it's the next part of the service. How about that? We show up here, we end up four miles away. And here it is, they head out and everybody's heading with them. And it doesn't say that everybody in the crowd knew what was going on, but they're following. And so I'll read verse 6 again. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house. That means he's just about to the centurion's house, and all of a sudden something happens. The centurion sent friends. First he sent some people that were of reputation that he was connected to uh, to get him to come. Now he gets some of his personal friends and says, I need you guys to go do me a favor. Jesus is getting close to my house. Uh, he shouldn't come here. Uh, I haven't cleaned. No, he didn't say that. He, he, what happens is, 
all these things he did were starting to project an attitude and a respect that he had for Jesus. And, and he said, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. These are his friends. Don't trouble yourself. For I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. So think about it. In society, this man was worthy. This man was to be respected. I mean, he's a centurion, and he's a Roman one, and if you're a Jew, you have no rights. If you're a Roman, you do. But he's in a country where people don't have rights, so, but people seem to respect him and like him, but he stops Jesus from coming, and he said, I'm not worthy... I'm not worthy. You know, sometimes people in positions can get the big head and start thinking, who do they think I am? You know, there was a guy named Naaman who had some real position in the Bible, and his, he had gotten leprosy, and he, he had a servant who had been sold and, and was a Jewish slave, basically, and said, why don't you go up to Israel? They got a prophet up there. He heals the sick. You go up there, he'll heal you. So he goes up there, and uh, the prophet doesn't come out to see him. The prophet tells the servant, you go do this, and go tell him to dip in this river Jordan seven times, and he'll be clean. And he has a fit. Doesn't he know who I am? He, he's regarding himself, not God and his servant. And he's like, who does he think he is? We got cleaner rivers down where I'm from. Literally read the story. He starts going, this river's muddy and dirty. In other words, you're going to tell me to go dip in chocolate milk? You know, dirt. ever been in rivers that were real dirty and you had white socks on? Anybody ever done that? I don't know how you do it, but I've done it. And you get out and your socks look like you dipped them in chocolate milk. Your underwear, and for a legitimate reason. Sorry. And uh, anyway, any clothes like that look like you just dipped them in chocolate milk. And, you know, you come out and this guy's thinking, I'm a ruler I'm an authority. You're telling me to go dip in this river? Well, there's a bunch of clean ones. The servant was humble enough to say, if he asked you to do something hard, would you have done it? And he was like, well, yeah. And he starts to humble himself. He starts to give regard and esteem to what's being said. He wasn't regarding him. Who does he think he is? Tell me to dip. Listen, you can't lift yourself up. You've got to lift God up. You've got to respect God. You've got to reverence what he says. And so he made this adjustment. He said, I'm going to do it. And then he dipped seven times and the seventh time. So really what he was doing was not just going on the word of a prophet. He was, the prophet was conveying God's word. And he dipped seven times and he came up. And that guy was glad he dipped. He was glad he humbled himself. He's glad he esteemed the word he got from God and acted on it because he became clean. 
Well, here we see somebody in this story with the centurion. He says, as Jesus is coming, I'm not worthy. In other words, I might be a big shot in this world, but I'm not worthy when it comes to you. You start seeing his attitude coming out toward the Lord. And so he said, uh, verse 7, Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy or of a certain level that to, to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Now remember, this isn't him saying it. This is this big message that he's given to his friends because he just, even though he is somebody of rank, realizes that Jesus is greater rank. No matter how big you are, you've got to, I mean, think of Jesus as the highest rank. Because, you know, people can get into positions. I mean, you could be the king of a country and say, I could live any way I want to. But remember, you're still not the highest in rank. And what made for the greatest rulers in Israel were the ones who esteemed God as big and not themselves. Remember in the Bible, the Lord spoke about Saul and he had ruled at one time and he was the king. David ended up being the king. And what's interesting, the Bible tells us that Saul was the one God intended to have on the throne forever so that Jesus would be born through the lineage, not David. The scripture's clear on that. David was a substitute. David was a substitute. But we don't look at that, but he was, and then there became a lineage through this sub, this second citizen, so to speak. In other words, not God's first choice. And what's so interesting is the pivotal point was this. When Saul said the Lord, when the Lord spoke to him, he said, when you were small in your own eyes. When you were small in your own eyes. That didn't mean he thought of himself as a worm, but he just had a right perspective. He didn't get bigger than God and bigger than God's ways and bigger than his regard for what God had to say when he was small in his own sight. You see, what happened was is his position went up. And sometimes you see this. People get the big head, and I'm the boss, and I can treat you any way I want to. Uh, that's not good. That has ill effect. People love working for somebody like that. I mean, no, they don't. And so there is a guard that has to come on people as they move up. But, but Saul didn't guard himself, and when he was small in his own sight, things were working good. When he became big, what does it mean? He took away a position that belonged to God, took it to himself, and didn't esteem God. Didn't, didn't lift God up to the right place. Didn't have the right kind of attitude and respect toward God like, would this offend you, God, if I did this? Not just, oh, there's commandments, don't do this and do this. Would I hurt your feelings by doing this, God? Somebody said, God's feelings can't get hurt. Oh, yes, he, he has emotion qualities 
too, because it said at one point when the earth had given them their thoughts over to evil stuff continually before Noah built the ark, or when he did it, it said God, it repented God. Inwardly, he went, ah, ah, why? We should ask ourselves, not just am I keeping a commandment, would this hurt you, God? I'm, I'm working in a relationship with you. How, how, how do you think about this? Would, would you be pleased with this? Because if he can be pleased with it, it can sadden him. You think he loves to see his creation doing wrong? Especially the new creation? So when we approach God, I don't think it should just be mechanical and think, well, I'm keeping his Ten Commandments, or I'm keeping this commandment, or I'm keeping, you know, the commandment of love, or I'm doing this. We should look at it as a personal thing. And so we see here, as this guy approaches the Lord, he uh, he's didn't get real big in his head. He was able to keep himself low. Just because you have the right to do something by position doesn't mean you always need to do it. And then the attitude in which you do it is huge too. And, and everybody has to work on that. I don't care who you are. Somebody said, well, when I get to that position, I'd never do that. There, there's new temptations. Amen. <laughs> there are new temptations. I said, I never got tempted that way till I got to this position. You know what I mean? Is everybody awake? Oh, okay, just check. But, but the issue is here, we're talking about staying small in ourselves and keeping the Lord in the place He belongs. Even in the Bible, it said, let us magnify the Lord together. What does that mean, just magnify Him? It doesn't mean make Him bigger, so to speak, because He can't get bigger. It's really about us getting the right perspective of how big God really is. And that can be skewed because it's skewed in society. So somebody might say, well, I think God's pretty big and He is incredible. He, he's probably beyond what we could ever measure. But it's good to keep that perspective. And, and this guy literally said, I'm not worthy for you to enter into under my roof. Verse 7 says, therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. Wow. I, how many people would have thought, this is my opportunity. And he just thought, I'm not worthy. Even though he could have had the big head. You know, I wonder about people in Hollywood as you hear different ones give their life to the Lord and there's a big change and they start sharing the Lord, you know, and, and people persecute them. I think, man, they had to humble themselves. They had to esteem the Lord to, because they had a position where everybody looked up to them and, and if they thought that way and thought up, they had to get low. 
And when we talk about magnifying the Lord together, all we're doing is coming in line with the true perspective of who He is already. And it says, verse 7, Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now notice verse 8, he is going to tell you how he thinks and how he thinks about the Lord. He said, therefore, or verse 8, for I also am a man placed under authority. We would say it this way, we're a person of authority. I am a man placed in authority. He was basically saying, I'm placed in an authoritative position. Obviously, by what we've seen already, he realized his authoritative position was not the same measure as the authoritative position of Jesus. I mean, because he had commanding officers over him, and he didn't tell them, oh, I, I didn't feel worthy to come talk to you. He had to go talk to them. But he starts to break down Jesus in this way. I am a person that's being delegated authority, and basically what he starts saying is, I recognize you as the ultimate authority. And in your ultimate authority, your words are so powerful that I could just hear a command out of the word of God, and it, it would deliver my servant. And I don't even need you to personally come and do that, because... I think so highly of you. Well, if Jesus would just come and touch me, or if he'd just come appear to me. No, if I just esteem him a certain way. That's all it takes. And he said, and he starts breaking it down. For I also am a man placed in authority or under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes. And what is he saying here? You are the ultimate authority, and I regard your word like I regard my word with soldiers. I regard your word with the elements of the world, which would include sickness and disease. Uh, I don't believe that. Then you need to esteem it. He did. He regarded him. He didn't say, I need you to come and do it. I just need you to give a word because your position and your authority is above all. And so he said, and so I say to one, go. And he goes and to another, come. And he comes and he comes. And to my servant, I say, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled. Now, he never even heard it from him. But the guy so esteemed he heard it through his friends. He heard, he heard it through his friends. How people's attitude is towards God's word and his dealings determines much about what happens. Remember the lightning rod? This guy was a lightning rod. And he had this attitude that above all, I esteem the Lord. So if he says something, final authority. And so Jesus, when he heard these things, he marveled. 
Do you know there's only two times Jesus marveled? Both of them had to do with the person's attitude approaching him. He marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd who followed him. So there's a crowd. Remember the field trip service? They're all there. He said, I say to all of you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. This guy's not even a covenant person. He's an outsider. And he said, Jesus said, there's not a greater measure of faith anywhere. And what determined his measure of faith? How high he could esteem the Lord. How he reverenced the Lord. How he saw great value in the Lord. How he realized, man, he is above. He is phenomenal. Man. And when he had that attitude, boom. I haven't found it like this. Verse 10, and so those who were sent returning to the house. So he turned back after this exchange because I don't need to go. Uh, he's given a word. They go back and it says, and they found the servant who was dying. Well, who had been sick. How did that happen? It wasn't all about the Lord. Turn to Mark 6. It was this ability to regard the Lord. It was the ability of an individual to respect the Lord in such a phenomenal way that it didn't matter what others thought. He didn't think about his reputation. Because some people in that position would say, let's get all the good soldiers around me and I'm going to go out there because I am a person of authority. And he didn't do that. And he got somebody else to go out, some friends. I mean, I would have been glad to be one of the friends. Yeah, I'll go talk to him for you. He's coming to your house. You know what I mean? And he's like, I'm just not worthy. And it wasn't that he felt like he was dirt. He just recognized this is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. And so he, he does this and like lightning, he gets his answer. Everybody with me? Let's read this, Mark 6, verse 1. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which was, is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands. So these people are sitting there hearing him, and it's not that they're seeing the miracles, they're hearing about him. Maybe Jesus shared, you know, God anointed me, and, and I've been ministering, and, and, and these kind of people have been getting healed. Or maybe others, rumors, like the centurion. Man, there's people getting healed. And they said, who is this? What is this wisdom that's given to him that such mighty works are performed through his hands? Verse 3, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon? And are not his sisters here? So they were offended at him. They didn't go, this is awesome. 
we've got the Son of God here. And they didn't start esteeming him. They said, we know him naturally. They weren't believing, you know, like they should. They didn't put high value on him. Jesus even goes on to say. And so it said they were offended. And verse 4 says, but Jesus said to them, a prophet, that was him, is not without honor, which means high regard, great value, great respect, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. In other words, Jesus just basically laid it out and said, you don't esteem me, you don't regard me, you don't honor me, you don't put great value on me as a prophet of God. Notice Jesus did not say, you don't put great value on me because uh, I'm the son of God. He was. He didn't use that. He was basically saying, I'm a ministry gift. God gave me this office of the prophet to come and minister to you. He could have said, I'm the son of God. Demons would say, we know who you are. You're the Christ. He didn't say that. He just knew that there had to be some respect. Like Naaman who started to disrespect and then changed and respected. He knew this would affect him. He knew what the word said. And he knew. And so it says now he could do no mighty work there. Didn't say he couldn't or wouldn't do it. Said he couldn't do it. Didn't say he didn't have the ability to do it. It said he couldn't. But why? Because of their unbelief. He, and it says, He could do no mighty works there except lay his hands on a few sick people. Some translations read in the margins with just minor ailments. Some headaches, back pains. And he healed them. And notice this phrase. Here it is again. The only two times it's mentioned... And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now, sometimes we may look at the centurion's faith and go, yeah, the faith. And we may look at them and go, ooh, bad, the unbelief. But really, if you really focus in on the source, if you focus in on the source, you realize, you know, because sometimes, you know, people don't realize, you know, you can cut a leg off an octopus and cut an egg, a leg off an octopus. It'll grow it back. Same thing with a crab. It'll just grow it back. You got to go after the source. People are wondering about unbelief. People are wondering about faith. Go to the source. How high do we esteem the Lord in his word? To what degree? That will determine it right there. Right there. And so, so verse 6 says... So he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about their villages in a circuit teaching. In other words, he wanted to help their unbelief. He wanted them to start regarding the right thing the right way. Turn over here real quick to Leviticus. Leviticus, way back there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. The 19th chapter. Here's what we need to realize about honor and esteem. We have choices where we can do it. And remember I said we live in a world right now that has, uh, doesn't have respect and regard for the Lord. But do you know that the world does have regard and does have respect? They've just placed it in the wrong thing. 
How popular. When I was little, you never saw fortune tellers and mind readers and go to people for tarot cards. You could get in trouble for that years before that. It was not legal. And I remember the first time we, we, this one in the city near us, Pomona, I remember driving and hearing, wow, they opened a place for a fortune teller. Now it's all over the place. People can read their horoscope. People can go to mediums. People can do this. Notice this, Leviticus 19.31. It says, give no regard. Four times that word regard is translated respect. Or literally, bunches of time, it means turn to. Give no regard. And here's the thing. We turn to things we respect and honor. We turn to it for advice. Right? We all watch different news outlets based on how we think they are honest. And we turn to them. Why? Because we value what they're giving. And he said, give no regard or respect, or turn to mediums. Some translations read psychics and familiar spirits. These are demons. Isn't it interesting that, that the world can respect and start respecting instead of God and giving Him a high regard? They can start looking to familiar spirits or demon spirits and don't realize it, and they're starting to place a big value. Really what's happened is they've moved their value away from God as the high supreme one and have put it into wrong things. And he said, give no regard to mediums and to familiar spirits. Uh, do not seek after them uh, to be defiled by them. Notice he didn't say to be guided by them. He said to be defiled by them. He didn't say to be guided by them. Most people don't realize they think I'm being guided by them. No, you're being defiled by them. It's like putting the right label on the can again. Some people say, well, it's just fun to do that. These are familiar spirits. They're fallen beings. And he said, do not regard them. This means what's happening when people go to these things, they're starting to lift them up and, and put great value in them. Wrong value. These, all these spirits that motivate these people will end up in hell. And he said to be defiled by them, I am the Lord, your God. Why did he just throw that statement in there? I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your God. Meaning, I'm God. I'm the one who's to be esteemed. I'm the one that needs to be turned to. I'm the one who needs to be respected. But if you notice, there's a choice here. Everybody alive and well? Turn here to Proverbs 14 and we'll close. Proverbs 14. And, and it's good to hear these things because it can help us to adjust. But there are some simple things we can do too to help our esteem, our respect, our value of the Lord. Because what we value or find of great uh, worth, we respond certain ways to. Proverbs fourteen twenty six, In the fear of the Lord, which means respect of the Lord, or when you have great value, great honor, 
In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Notice this. Those who didn't respect the Lord didn't have strong confidence in God's word. In Mark 6. But the man who feared the Lord and put great esteem upon him had great confidence in his word. And he said, all you've got to do is speak a word and my servant will be healed. Why did he have great confidence? Because he had great fear or respect or honor for the Lord. And he said, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. So there's protection there for these people who esteem the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snare of death. So you could say to deliver people from sickness, the enemy, it doesn't matter. What would it mean? You esteem God and esteem what he says above anything. Here are a couple things that we can do to develop uh, esteem. You know, information is important. It is. You know, uh, so how we recognize God, like when he said, for I am the Lord God, after he said, don't turn to them, he was basically saying, I'm God. I'm the highest, the biggest, the strongest. I'm the creator. Don't put your value in something that's evil and wrong. In other words, he just all he has to do is say, I am God. When he introduced himself to the Egyptians, what did he say? He said, just tell him I am the I am. And then he demonstrated out of that place. Are you with me? And so we see that recognizing the true value of the Lord, who he is and who he says he is, it helps us to start esteeming him. We have to choose that. Here's something else a believer can, believer can do is this. How you respond promptly to the Lord will help you. Because no matter what the area is, if you're reading in the Word or you're sitting in a service or you're praying and the Lord starts dealing with you about something, I understand that doesn't mean like you get up and run out of the service. But, you know, I got to go do this. No, but meaning we promptly obey him. We don't put it off for weeks and months. You know why? If I put it off for weeks and months and years, I am devaluing his word in myself. And what it's doing, it's building into me a sense of this is not valuable. This is not important. This does not have a high place in my life. Me and what I'm going to do has a high place. So quickly responding to the Lord is actually helping ourselves to train ourselves. Are you with me? And so acting promptly on the Lord's dealings, whether it's out of his word or by the dealings of his spirit, will actually be helping us to exercise esteem exercise high regard gaining information about how big he is 
And if you feed on things that are out there that speak small of God, don't feed on it. Don't listen to it. Why? Because why do I want them to talk low about my God? Who is of the utmost? They're just deceived. These things will help us. I mean, to me, that statement where he said, I am the Lord God, can mean little or a lot. And when he said, don't regard them or turn to them and esteem them because I'm God. That should be the only reason because he said it. He's bigger than all. He's the final authority. Amen. So I guess for a sermon title, highly valued, we're talking about him. Amen.